Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today. We are going to talk about the role of community spaces today, how we ensure they exist in the places where we live, how important they are to us, and how we preserve them in an era when many communities are losing them. We're going to start in the city of Centerline, but also branch out to all the other communities here in Southeast Michigan. And we want to hear from you. What does community space look like where you live? That's all next on Detroit Today, right after the news from NPI. Hey everyone, it's Stephen Henderson on 101.9 WDET, our old for Detroit Today, our daily look at issues that concern and interest and inspire us here in Detroit and Southeast Michigan and in Michigan. Uh, we want to talk today about the idea of home and when we think of home, how we think don't just think of the house where we live. We also think about maybe a community park or a rec center or a coffee shop in the places that we call home. Those are the spots that make your neighborhood feel like it's yours. But what happens in a community when these kinds of public spaces start to go away? Centerline is a small city in Macomb County, just north of Detroit, and in recent years there has been a loss of public spaces for that community, including its 154-year-old Catholic school and the community's only coffee shop. As part of WDET's Crossing the Line series in Centerline, we are spending this hour looking at the places that foster community and what happens when they go away. This is something that is, of course, not unique to Centerline. In holding events across Metro Detroit, we have talked with lots of residents from many communities who are also worried about losing the places where they see and connect with your neighbors. So all hour, give us a call and tell us what the community spaces look like where you live. What are the places that you really cherish as ways to connect with other people who live in the same place you do? And are you in a community where those kind of spaces seem to be under threat, where you seem to be losing the common spaces, where you rub up against other folks who uh, live in your community and get to know them. As always, the number on the phones here is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and uh, we will try to work you into the conversation. And kicking off this conversation are two people who are really familiar with this issue in Centerline. Uh, my first guest is Bob Benson. He is the mayor of Centerline. Bob, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you, Stephen. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. And Jan Ornston is a member of the Downtown Development Authority in Centerline. Jan, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you, Steve. Yeah. All right. So let's start with uh, what each of you think of the current state of community space in Centerline. Uh, do you feel like you have enough? Do you feel like you're losing important community spaces? Um, and what is the trajectory, I guess, that you would like things to be to be going on? Mayor, I will start with you. Well, the loss of Hometown Heroes Coffee Shop was, uh, it was definitely a big blow to the community. Um, it was nice to have uh, our um, coffee shop, you know, a place for the kids to go and and hang out. And I think that one of the things that happens in some communities is uh, people always say, well, you know, we'll go tomorrow or we'll go tomorrow or, you know, we'll go next week. And they get busy. And, uh, you know, it seemed like after the place closed, there was a lot more people saying, boy, I wish that that never happened. That was such a great place. But people didn't frequent it as much as they thought that they would. And, you know, um, this, the church was also, uh, you know, it, the school there um, was a tight knit part of our community, the dad's club and, and uh, the usher's club. And, and, and they're still there. The church is still there, but the school is gone. Mm -hmm. And, and that was a good place for people to gather. But, you know, we've still got a lot of good places for people to gather. We've got a lot of nice parks and, 
and we have a community garden where everybody gets together and a lot of our uh, local restaurants, uh, Haney's and Luca's and Joe's, Coney Island. And so uh, we've got a lot of nice places in Centerline that people still go to because we're a tight-knit community and we like to hang out together. Yeah, yeah. Jan, go ahead. And we do have T. Romo and we do have the uh, Sandbaggers Bar and Grill. Um, pizza at both places, great football games, a lot of TVs for visibility on the football games, baseball games in the summer. And... Um, the food is, the hamburgers are wonderful at both, and uh, there's always uh, an event going on, a birthday party or a meeting. Fundraisers for the library. We do have fundraisers for beautification, too. So so talk about, for each of you, how long you've lived in Centerline and how, I guess, you've seen this change over time. One of the things I think that's true is that when we live in communities for an extended period of time— we experience change because that's sort of the nature of life, right? Things don't always stay the same. But I'm curious for each of you whether these changes that you're talking about change the way the community feels uh, for you and and for other people who live there in terms of being connected to each other. Well, when I was I was born in Centerline, I wasn't born in Centerline because we don't have a hospital. But when I was living there, when <laughs> your I was family born. lived there. My family lived there when I was born, <laughs> and um, I remember I lived on Little Engelman, what we call Little Engelman, which is right in right part of Memorial Park, pretty much. And uh, I remember going down to the end of the street, and we had a rec center that would have uh, crafts that we could do every Saturday and, and, and hanging out in the park. When I would get in trouble when I was a kid, I would get grounded to the park. I couldn't leave the park, which <laughs> was really That's good for me. <laughs> right? <laughs> and, uh, you know, a lot of, and I remember going to church at St. Clemens and sitting in the pews. Um, and, and it was a lot different church back then. Um, it was a lot different atmosphere. Um, a lot of younger families and, uh, you know, being a tight, knit community that we are, I always say you're either from Centerline or you know somebody that's from Centerline because there's a lot of people that do that you run into even though it's such a small town. And uh, a lot of people, um, now that they're getting older, uh, when they were in for a little while there, there seemed to be a drift away from that type of a situation. Uh, But now there seems to be a lot younger families moving in, Mm -hmm. um, a lot more action in the parks, uh, Rotary Park we have, and Lions Park, and and uh, uh, Memorial Park is our biggest park where the rec building is today. And uh, I, I see a lot more action uh, of people that like to get together. And um, we are in a in a situation where you know our community is getting is starting to transition from just having a bunch of old elderly people to younger people moving in and and, and making that change. Um, some of the uh, kids like myself and I think Jan was talking about it earlier where we've moved into our our parents houses (laughs) and that's happening for us Mm -hmm. now because our children are starting to move into houses that we had Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so Jan I lived in Centerline for 66 years my whole life born uh, in Detroit moved to Centerline within one month wow uh, it's my second house. I lived with mom and dad who had passed away. But I see when I was a little girl, we did a lot at the playgrounds at Centerline. Um, at Memorial Park, we always played on the merry-go-round, on the teeter-totters. There was a, still a playground at Memorial Park for all the kids to enjoy. And you can take your dogs to the park and walk your dogs around. There are class reunions from Centerline High School and from St. Clement School that are conducted in the summertime. It's always a good chance to meet up with people you haven't seen in a while. Um, but the biggest thing for me right now is if the people from Centerline, if they watch your cable TV, there's always events posted for the library, maybe having a cooking class, mm-hmm. a knit class, uh, the rec center. Uh, right now in December, we have a tree lighting ceremony coming up on Saturday. It'll be December 14th at 7 o'clock. Santa arrives on the fire truck, which is a goosebump event. I mean, I get goosebumps every year, and I'm 66 years yeah, old. So that's pretty cool. <laughs> it's, it's a fun event, and there is also a cookie sale at the rec center. 
and there the residents are lined up. There are 30, 40 people lined up to buy cookies. You want to get there at 6 o'clock. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right? yeah. You won't get the cookies. More right? people than at Best Buy, I'll tell you that. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and my guests are Bob Benson. He is the mayor of Centerline, and Jan Ornston. She is a member of the Downtown Development Authority there in Centerline. We're talking about community spaces, the places where we connect with other people who live in the same community that we do, uh, how important those spaces are in defining home for all of us, but also how those spaces are being preserved and maybe going away in some communities. Centerline has lost a couple of institutions that would have served that community space role for them. That's something that's going on in municipalities all across the metro area. And we want to hear from you about that. What are the spaces in your community that you think of as community spaces, the places where you really interact with the other people who live where you do? And do you feel like those spaces are under some sort of threat? Are they going away or are they changing in a way that makes you feel differently about where you live? As always, the number on the phones here is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today and uh, we'll work you into the conversation. Before we get to callers, uh, uh, Bob and Jan, I want to I talk a little about the challenges, the financial challenges that confront municipalities here in Southeast Michigan and how those affect public spaces. Uh, tell us what's going on with tax receipts, for instance, and property taxes in Centerline and, and how that revenue stream affects the ability to preserve some of these public spaces. Well, like every community, um, local community, uh, there is an issue with the economic downturn that we had, you know, back in 2008 in, in, in late in that area, um, because property values went down so rapidly and so greatly. And then um, with the Headley Amendment, it's kind of a slow process getting back because you can only raise them so much every year. So what we lost, we, we still haven't even come close to getting back yet. It'll be decades before yeah, you bounce it's back. Forever. And, and, and I mean, it, it's really has caused a, a problem for a lot of our communities. And we've had to try to tighten our belts and, and look to um, local businesses to help donate and, and support some of our efforts. And, and fortunately, in Centerline, we've been very lucky to have some very generous businesses that have supported our festival that we have every year and, and, and the other uh, in our community garden, they donate to our libraries. And, um, you know, we've, we've, we've been able to survive the storm pretty much. Um, and, you know, we're hoping to, there is some uh, legislation uh, going on right now talking about trying to alleviate some of that for some of the local communities. Um, I'm not going to get into the specifics of it all, but mm -hmm. You know, we are working on trying to get that money back to the communities where they're needed. Um, even talking about local road repair, we can see that that's an issue. Yes, and, it is. <laughs> and, you know, it, you know I, I really believe that, you know, putting, because being a local mayor, I get a lot of people talking to me about what are you going to do about the roads? Well, there's not a lot that I can do about it if I don't get the money from the state back to me. Mm -hmm. And so... Uh, Jan, as a member of the Downtown Development Authority, you're, of course, looking at investment and other kinds of things in Centerline. Talk about where that stands right now in that community in terms of creating or preserving community spaces. I would like to see, um, we have a few empty buildings on Van Dyke. I would like to see retail stores opening um, to bring in little extra cash for the taxes and business for some of the people walking on Van Dyke looking for things to do. Hmm. Okay. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Let's start with Bernadette in downtown Hello, Redford. Stephen. One of the things that saddens me is um, the consolidation of many of the black Catholic parishes. Hmm. I attended uh, church and uh, grade school at um, Madonna. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. Madonna was open uh, in the uh, 20s by uh, a group of Maltese, and eventually when the neighborhood turned black, um, it became a uh, with the adjoining school. But everything has changed, and now it has consolidated uh, St. Gregory the Great mm-hmm. and um, St. Benedict into one parish. The name has been changed, but the people are so disappointed because they were connected to their neighborhood churches. Hmm. Uh, Bernadette, talk about the, the sense of community that you had from that church and why, why it mattered so much. Well, because it was my graduation class in 1969 had 24 students in eighth grade. We had begun from first to eighth grade, and it was like an extended family. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that sent the education that I got there superseded whatever followed. It, the nuns were tough, but the feeling amongst everyone there was a high expectation. And I don't know if I had children that I could have made the sacrifices that my parents and those of my classmates to send their children um, to a private school. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bernadette, I really appreciate the call and the comments. Uh, there she's talking about the number of African-American parishes we've lost in the city as population has dropped and the archdiocese has had to combine them. Uh, but but in centerline, St. Clement is another example of uh, a, a church that, that is experiencing that same that same issue, right? Oh, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> Go ahead. <laughs> my, uh, my daughter went to St. Clement's and, um, when the school was open, and uh, it, it really brought the community together. As a matter of fact, many of the parents of, of the children in St. Clement's that, that used to go there, I, I'm still talked to all every day. Um, we're all very close, and I do think that Sometimes some of the reorganization that the church has done has hurt the churches in a way um, before they needed to. Um, I think that, uh, you know, one of the things, some of the signs with St. Clement's was the closing of the, the, the disbanding of the dad's club and, and stuff like that, which, you know, was very supportive for the, I mean, basically as a dad's club, we cut the grass for the entire parish. We mm-hmm. took care of all the grounds for free. It was all volunteer. Once they disbanded the dad's club, the Christmas tree sales went away, the pancake breakfast went away, all that stuff that brought the community together. Everybody always bought their trees at the St. Clemens tree lot. I mean, and then that went away, and that sort of thing kind of div- divides. It's People started moving away from the church when that happened, and I think that that happens in a lot of communities, and it's something that needs to be looked at because— um, St. Clemens Church is the reason, one of the reasons that Centerline thrived as much as it did, because, <clears throat> excuse me. <laughs> That's okay. The, um, the trolley line ended right there at 10 Mile Road in Van Dyke, and that was basically because everybody from downtown Detroit was going out to the country to go to the church, which is not the country anymore, but mm. that's what it was. And uh, that's pretty much what, you know, the staple of our community was. And, and to have that big church on Van Dyke not be there anymore, I just couldn't even imagine it. I mean, it's been there since I was a little kid. I was just listening yesterday when I was out doing my Christmas lights, I could hear the bells at the church. Mm. And I'm thinking, what if I never heard that again? You know, how would that affect the community? So, yeah, we're I've written a letter to the archdiocese and it's very important to us that, that St. Clemens stays open. That you preserve it. Beautiful landmark. Yeah. Pretty yeah. blue with stained glass windows and mm-hmm. built, I believe, in 1963. year I was born. I made my <laughs> communion there, confirmation. <laughs> wow. Me too. Wow. Uh, again, Bernadette, thanks for the call and the comments. <clears throat> Let's go to Elizabeth in Chesterfield Township. Elizabeth, welcome to the show. Hi. Thank you, Stephen. Hey. Yep. Um, I have uh, called in because I was very interested when I heard this morning that you were going to be speaking about public spaces. Mm-hmm. And uh, I am the library director at Chesterfield Township Library, and my comments are about the role, the unique role of the public library in communities. And um, public libraries are essential as community gathering spaces Mm -hmm. 
but they have different core values than other businesses and, and even other spaces in communities. They, um, public libraries provide equal access to information, ideas, and resources, and that means equal opportunity for every individual in our communities to experience success. Mm. And public libraries also are essential because we're a democracy, and in order for our residents to participate as informed citizens, they require access to information. Every individual requires access to information. And public libraries are the great equalizer. Mm. They serve people of every age, every education level, every income level, every ethnicity, every physical ability. And um, I found it very interesting. In February, the Chesterfield Township Library is holding a One Book, One Community project on the book. The book title is Palaces for the People. And it's just exactly about this, the public spaces in our communities. And... um, and we are, of course, looking at how essential the role of the public library is in communities right, today. Right, right. Uh, Elizabeth, I'm really glad you called uh, to inject that into the conversation here. But public libraries, of course, are treasures in, in many, many communities. In a lot of communities, we're also losing public libraries here in Detroit. A lot of our neighborhood branches, for instance, have had to go away. Bob and Jan, I wonder if you can talk about the role of public libraries in a city like Centerline. Our public library is very much a focal point of our community, and 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 the caller is correct. Absolutely. Um, it's a, a great place for people to come together and access the Internet when they don't have a computer at home. Um, as a matter of fact, we had uh, we we are actually going to have uh, a program where people can come in for the census, the 2020 uh, census that's going to be happening this spring, and uh, be able to do their their census right there online at the library if they'd like to, because you know a lot of times there's a lot of people that have trouble. We have trouble accessing you know, hard to reach people when it comes to getting our counts together. And it's so important that we have that. The funding you talked about earlier mm-hmm. is important. And then other programs that we can have at the library, like just recently we had Narcan training at our library, which is very important with the opioid epidemic. And, um, you know, we had at least 60 people that came there just to learn about that. And they each got a kit to take home. And, you know, um, we have our uh, murder mystery dinner that we have. Mm-hmm. Every year, that's very well attended, and we've always got really and and uh, Macomb County uh, City Clerk or County Clerk office came to our library, so people that couldn't get out to the county seat in Mount Clemens could come to our local library mm-hmm. and get some of their um, stuff done, like uh, you know taxes and stuff like that taken sure. care of. Yeah, and then we had the evening events at the library um, twice a week. There may be a cooking class that occurred with a great chef that would come in, and maybe 30, 40 women and men would attend the cooking class. We had book sales at the library with a cookie sale. So we do keep the library yeah. alive. And yeah, every, every, every council meeting each month, we've got a list of stuff to read off that's going on at the library. At the library, <laughs> right. And, you know, our, our librarian, our head librarian, Wesley Arnold, Wesley. Does a great job. (laughs) Okay. All right. Uh, We're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to continue our conversation about community spaces and how we preserve and cherish them. I want to thank Bob Benson, the mayor of Centerline, and Jan Ornston, member of the Downtown Development Authority in Centerline, for being here with us. Stay with us and stay with us on the phones. Dan in Plymouth, Ed in Detroit, Frank in Livonia, Mark in Chelsea. We'll get to you next as well. If you want to join them, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, 
Thanks for tuning in. We're talking this hour about the role of community spaces in cities here in Metro Detroit, these places where we connect with other people who live in the communities that we call home. How do we preserve those spaces? How important are they to defining home for us? And are we in danger of losing a lot of those spaces. We just heard from two officials in the city of Centerline about some places that have gone away or changed pretty dramatically that were community gathering spaces. That's a story that we hear all over the metro area from people about what is going on in their communities. We want to hear from you this hour about the public spaces in your community. Are they places that you feel like are being preserved the way they need to or growing perhaps uh, to be able to serve more people in better ways? Or are they under some sort of threat? Are they uh, not being funded properly or cared for properly? Or is your community changing in a way that makes it harder to support these kinds of community spaces. As always, the number on the phones here is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there. Or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. And we'll try to work you into the conversation. And I want to welcome another voice into this conversation as well. David Dudley is the executive editor of City Lab, and he joins us now from Baltimore. David Dudley, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi, good morning. How are you? Yeah, great. Uh, so let's start with you talking about the role of community spaces in cities in the general sense. Why is it that these spaces are so important to us in the way that we think of home? Yeah, you know, this is something we see uh, around the world in, in cities that we cover. Uh, uh, local governments trying to do more to sort of build up and invest in public spaces that uh, that serve as this uh, social infrastructure is the term. Uh, one of your previous callers mentioned uh, Palaces for the People, which mm-hmm. is a book that uh, Eric Kleinenberg, who's an NYU sociologist, came out with last year. So he has this term social infrastructure to describe uh, the physical places that sort of knit communities together and how critical they are and how they tend to sometimes get uh, forgotten and, uh, and not invested in. So these are these are schools, these are libraries, uh, they can be coffee shops, they can be public parks, um, they can be streets. Um, all these things can sort of function as, as social infrastructure. And uh, it's just, uh, you know, an utterly critical part of what makes a community and what a city uh, function. And when we look back at the history of cities and why cities develop, the idea of public space is one of the real driving factors there. This idea that living in close proximity to other people is not just about housing. It's also about the opportunity to interact with each other and to share and to, as you say, build this sort of social infrastructure. Uh, Talk about sort of how we've gotten to the place where we are now from where the very idea of cities started. Uh, yeah, I mean it's a it's a it's a long and complicated story, but <laughs> but uh, I think in general what you've seen in in this country and in cities like Detroit is is that uh, as uh, as as the automobile took on its role in the 20th century as sort of the the machine that that decided how space should operate, um, we have seen public spaces be increasingly kind of uh, under under assault or, mm-hmm. or under threat. Uh, because of the demands of car infrastructure are such that they're very, very kind of antithetical to human beings gathering. Uh, so we see that in city after city and, and how kind of highways have sort of uh, chopped up neighborhoods and made it harder to get to parks uh, and made it you know harder for, for residents to use their streets and use sidewalks. And, and all these sort of, you know, lesser, uh, lesser known but equally important kind of forms of public space, which is really the sidewalk, the street in front of your house, mm. Is really, you know, kind of the the central uh, molecule of a city. And uh, if you can't cross the street safely, and if your kids can't play safely, then that does have kind of impacts. Uh, so one of the easiest and 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 uh, kind of most common ways that cities are, are trying to sort of uh, re- kind of reactivate public spaces is by um, trying to mitigate the impacts of cars and and you know taking lanes away and road diets and, and a lot of the sort of Kind of uh, uh, car-free spaces that we're we're seeing around the world uh, over the last uh, decade or so. Yeah, I always feel like here in Detroit we have a 
a tougher time with that conversation because of our incredible marriage to the automobile and the way that we've designed an entire city around the very concept of of the automobile. Sometimes we get a little testy when people say, hey, there are different ways to think of of getting around. Uh, You know, I also think that there's an important dimension of this conversation that has to do with, with inequality and the differences that we see between communities of color, for instance, and and others, uh, the, between urban and suburban, uh, talk about how the the uh, threats to community space look different in some places than they do in others. Well, sure. Like I mean, historically, the uh, communities of color were the ones that 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 suffered the most uh, in terms of having public space removed for other purposes or. Uh, ha- having, uh, uh, you know, being sited next to industrial areas and so forth. So uh, what you see today in, in so many cities, and, and not just Detroit, is that there's there's uh, a, a difficulty in, in finding access to public space, uh, especially high-quality public space uh, in, in lower-income areas. Uh, and, uh, y- you know, that's that's something that, that uh, American cities in particular have, have struggled to mitigate, and then you see phenomena like where, uh, I guess the classic example is the the Highline Park in, in in New York City, where you have a very very successful public space created uh, in a neighborhood that had been fairly low income, and as soon as this this uh, this park takes off, uh, the housing values all around it uh, explode, mm-hmm. and uh, the community that used to be next to it uh, has to move on. Uh, so you're seeing sort of uh, public space uh, functioning as a kind of a gentrification accelerant, um, and that's something lots of cities are are, are struggling to to overcome because mm-hmm. uh, you know this is sort of an unintended side effect of, of a successful public space. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you want to you want to build these these places in ways so that the community that is actually the host community can can participate. Right. My guest is David Dudley, the executive editor of City Lab, and we're talking about community spaces, public spaces in our communities, the places that we interact and connect with uh, our neighbors, the other people who live in those cities. Uh, we're talking about how important those spaces are to our sense of home and our sense of place. We're also talking about whether we are in danger of losing a lot of those spaces in some places here in Metro Detroit in particular. Um, We want to hear from you. Do you have a strong sense of community where you live? What qualities are important to you in a public place that you frequent? And if you have one, what do you feel uh, it adds to your quality of life? If you have a place that you really identify with as the place to interact with other people in your community. Um, what is, does that add to your quality of life? As always, the number on the phones here is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll try to work you in. Let's start with uh, Frank in Livonia. Frank, what's on your mind? Hi, uh, good morning. Um, you know, I'd really uh, like to say these uh, in Livonia, we have every square mile, we have a space in the center of it for a park, a school, a church. Hmm. You know, this was laid out when they when the city incorporated. And, uh, you know, to, to speak to the educational thing, we used to, you know, these uh, elementary schools when we had so many kids, you know, everybody was together, like what Bernadette said, K through six, and, and you move through that generations upon generations. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but as the student population thinned out, the same thing with churches, you know, the, the density has just gotten so much thinner that a lot of these places have closed. But here in Livonia, we've made a big push for connectivity and to improve the, you know, the sidewalks in between places to make it, like you say, safe to go. Um, we, we have uh, here at uh, Heinz Park, uh, they just put in a new bridge over the Rouge River at Ann Arbor Trail in Heinz Park, and I encourage anybody in the city to go take a look at it because mm. what used to be a narrow, dangerous bridge on Ann Arbor Trail, they put a new pedestrian bridge just south of it, and it's beautiful. Now all of a sudden we have connectivity from the neighborhood from one side to the other, and it connects Westland. There's trails. You can go from uh, Northville all the way through uh, Livonia, Plymouth, you know, down through Allen Park, wow. Dearborn, 
Um, you know, this, these, these trails with uh, Outer Drive, you know, you pick up Outer Drive, you can go down through Lincoln Park, of course, pick up Jefferson Avenue, go down to Wyandotte and Trenton on your bike. And it's, you know, I mean, it's it, like they say, the roads are wide, there's trails, you're, you can deal with the traffic. Um, and, and so this, you know, I would really encourage uh, anybody, give our mayor a call, Maureen Brosnan, freshly elected. Right. She right. would, you know, love to show you what we've been doing here in Livonia. Uh, and, you, and we're a very car-centric community. Sure. A lot of cul-de-sacs and, and challenges, but we're well, uh, you've we're got working a, hard at it. Yeah, you've got a giant freeway running right through the mini- middle of the community as, as yeah, well. Yeah, that's a... That's a big challenge. Yeah, to do, so, so Frank, what I'm, what I'm, what's interesting to me about uh, about about what you're saying is is this intentionality that that you're talking about, this idea of planning and looking ahead and reacting uh, to things that are that are happening, not in an explicitly reactive way. In other words, trying to think forward and and figure out how to make things better. For people, even as a community changes, uh, David Dudley, it, it occurs to me that 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 of, of course is is maybe an ideal case of adapting. But it also occurs to me that you have to be able to afford to do the things that that Frank is talking about happen in Livonia. And one of the problems, of course, in places like Detroit or other urban communities around, is that uh, that money never. That money never really was in place. Sure, sure. No, the the I mean the 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 point that the caller makes about sort of you know uh, a, de- a decrease in density is something that that is uh, uh, particularly afflicting sort of like those first ring suburbs mm-hmm. that uh, that uh, are surrounding so many cities, where suddenly it's just you know there's there's nothing to walk to, uh, and uh, you're seeing particularly with the rise of online retail, you're seeing you know whole whole streets of uh, shopping strips that are you know dead. Uh, and these are huge challenges uh, because they're just they, they become kind of uh, antithetical to, to to seeing people there. Uh, one of the ideas that we just wrote about recently was the idea of of sort of pop up social infrastructure, where let's say you've got a, de- a dead store, an empty store, uh, and uh, there's a nonprofit uh, out in uh, the Boston area that will basically. Uh, take over the store, turn it into a, a kind of a free public space, uh, free coffee, books, uh, Wi-Fi. You know, it's basically like a little a little pop-up kind of Starbucks, except mm-hmm. it's free. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't cost anything. Uh, the nonprofit runs it. It's all kind of run off that. The, uh, the landlord basically says, uh, I'd rather have bodies in this place than, than, uh, uh, than have it just stand dead. Uh, people start gathering there, uh, you know, and then uh, you you sort of see kind of a positive uh, spillover effects. You know, they they'll they'll start patronizing stores that are nearby. Uh, it's a way of sort of bringing life to a dead area. Mm-hmm. Um, any place that's got like a, a a couple of vacant storefronts can do a similar thing. It doesn't require a huge uh, investment. The the buildings are there. Um, just requires a little bit of sort of creative thinking. Mm-hmm. Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with David Dudley, executive editor of City Lab. We will also continue with your calls, Dan in Plymouth, Ed in Detroit, Delphine in Warren. We will get to you as well. We'll also get to some comments and questions uh, that we've got via social media. Remember, the number is 313-577-1019. If you want to join the conversation, we'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. My guest is David Dudley. He's the executive editor of City Lab, and we're talking about community spaces, the places where we interact with our neighbors in our own communities, how important they are to us and our sense of home. Also, whether we are under threat of losing some of those spaces because of the way that our communities are changing. As always, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there or go to Twitter and uh, hashtag Detroit Today and we'll work you into the conversation. Let's go back to the phones here. 
Uh, let's start with Ed in Detroit. Ed, welcome to the show. Uh, yes. The importance of public spaces cannot be overrated. One of the things that's happened in recent decades as cities have had financial difficulties is they've turned to nonprofits and, in some cases, even for-profit businesses to finance renovation or upgrades to public spaces like parks. And often after the renovations, the nonprofit will take over the management of the space. And there have been some disputes when people in the community have come to the park to have a demonstration or protest. The new managers have often said, you can't do these kinds of things here. Mm. And in, in a few cases, communities have, have had to go to court to make it clear that the park is a public space, a public forum, and has long been a place where the community gathers to demonstrate, to protest, to make their views known. And I'll just listen to your guest comments on that off the off the air. Hmm. Uh, Ed, I really appreciate the, you, the the call and the comments. And before you respond, David Dudley, I'd like to read a comment from Janet in Detroit, which is somewhat similar. She says, Belle Isle is a good example of a public place where private interests are encroaching. We have a race each year on Belle Isle, a Grand Prix race that uh, really pushes the public out from being able to enjoy that space for a long period of time in the early summer. And then, of course, there's the impact of that race on, on the island, the physical uh, impact as well. This is, a, this is a, a tension that I feel like is, is unfolding in lots of different cities as, of course, we struggle with ways to support these public spaces. And we turn to nonprofits or we turn to private interests. But then the public use part of it sometimes uh, alters uh, the way that uh, people get to interact with it or or sometimes just just goes away sure sure yeah that's a that's a hot one uh, the the privatization and sort of the corporatization of, of public space in cities is a, a huge issue um, we're seeing especially as uh, Amazon and Google and so forth kind of uh, enter into this phase where they're sort of city builders you know they're they're their headquarters and their facilities in cities are often, you know, m several blocks uh, in in size and function uh, has as sort of neighborhoods unto themselves, and uh, they do provide uh, public amenities that are that are available to residents, but you know at what cost? Uh, and and that's a, a huge issue in places like Seattle, and uh, and man, I think probably in Detroit too. We did a piece on the on the Belle Isle Grand Prix recently mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. for that very reason. Um, and um, it, it's a uh, it's a huge challenge. New York City, uh, the big example there is the Hudson Yards development, the largest privately uh, funded real estate development in history, I believe, in this in North America at least. And it includes a whole bunch of sort of amenities in public space, but very much uh, managed on the terms of of the developer. Uh, and uh, again, you know, when when municipal uh, entities aren't in a position to to provide, uh, uh, you know, true public space, uh, the market will will step in, uh, and uh, you uh, you will see, you know, uh, the, the the phenomenon that your your callers have identified, and that these truly aren't, in many ways, uh, entirely public space in in the, in the traditional sense. Mm. Um, on the on the sort of the micro sense, you see you see that in in terms of like. Uh, within cities, the sort of a general absence of places uh, to, to to convene publicly, so that you people end up using uh, coffee shops and Starbucks and sort of uh, uh, kind of uh, chains that, that provide sort of uh, these uh, quote unquote third spaces. Uh, but you know, there's a there's a price one pays for that. You know, you have to sort of pay to play, and uh, it's uh, it's definitely a an issue of concern. Uh, uh, in American cities, again, like we're often seeing, uh, uh, we, we we kind of get tired of, of pointing to Scandinavian and Northern European cities as doing things a little more uh, differently and perhaps mm -hmm. a little more enlightened. Um, 
but the the commitment that you will see in 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 places like Copenhagen or uh, Helsinki, where we recently wrote about their central library, uh, the commitment they have to building uh, accessible, open to all, free public space is really on a scale that we have trouble uh, imagining in sure. the United States. Their their public library is open from 8 a.m. until 10 p.m. Uh, in a city of 600,000, it gets 10,000 people a day. Wow. Wow. Uh, it's really, uh, you know, far, far more than just a place to, to take a book out. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a factory of sort of civic um, kind of uh, sensibility and, and citizenship. And uh, uh, these are the kinds of, of, of infrastructure that, you know, it takes a certain amount of funding to support. But uh, those societies in those cities believe it's worth it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, again, Ed, thanks for the call and the comments. Let's go to Delphine and Warren. Delphine, welcome to the show. Hi. Hey. Um, I, a long-lost space, public space, is the Kearns clock. Uh-huh. Ask any older person. <laughs> they have probably met a friend or a relative under the Kearns mm-hmm. clock. was at the corner of Woodward and Grand River. Uh, it was a department store. I worked in the grandson's office. Mr. <laughs> Ernie Kern, Ernie Kern, uh, old Mr. Otto was still alive. Mr. Richard, wow. but the department store is gone, and I think the clock is preserved somewhere. Well, and uh, Delphine, yeah. good news is that the Kern's clock has just been moved. It is still there in downtown Detroit. It's been moved about a block south of where it originally was, um, and so. It still it does not it does not have the same kind of prominence I feel like it used to I mean because it was kind of more in, a, in an open space that was that was uh, a public space like a square uh, it's right outside the the one campus Marcius building now though um, but but it's still there and I would imagine that uh, for some people it's still a gathering place. I remember, you don't have to be all that old uh, to remember the Kearns clock or to, to, to remember it as a frame of reference. I can remember when I was a teenager that that was where I would meet my friends for the Thanksgiving Day parade. They would always uh, gather around that clock. And I would imagine that maybe there's still some people uh, who do that. Um, uh, so Delphi and I really uh, appreciate the call and uh, and the memory. Uh, David Dudley, I wonder if you can talk about the effects that social media and things like Nextdoor are having on our community conversations and, and the way that we interact with each other. Uh, are, are they devaluing the idea of physical public space? Yeah, I mean that's a that's a huge question that a lot of uh, a lot of uh, research is being devoted to. Um, I, you know, I tend to be uh, a skeptical to a degree about the kind of uh, 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 public health hysteria about social media as, as in terms of its devaluing public space. I think public space and and the value of cities as as collections of human beings is, if you design correctly and if you if your sp- space is, is is working, as it should, uh, it should survive social media. You know. Uh, the impact of social media, I think, on, on society is much broader and more diffuse, and it involves our our conversations, you know, in the in the political realm and our our sort of our sense of civic uh, kind of sanity. Uh, I, I I think on, on a on a on a neighborhood level, on a city level, uh, if your if your space is well designed, it will be a nice place to Instagram as well as a nice place. Mm. To take your kids, you know, mm-hmm. uh, that is sort of the virtues of of, of physical space, uh, and that it is it, it it should be resistant to uh, kind of the, the 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 drift into online discourse. Yeah, uh, because ultimately, you know, it, it it people live in cities be, for for the for other people, you know, uh, and if, if your city is, is providing the kind of spaces that, that allow people to, to gather and enjoy each other and en- enjoy sort of the city itself, then it should work. Mm. Uh, I also wonder about design and the way that design is changing in cities, especially in American cities right now, and the way that we think about things. That has an impact on on public space as well. Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, like the 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 
there are cities uh, – a lot of stories came out this week about uh, development in, uh, in uh, suburban Arizona. It's de- being developed as a car-free neighborhood and mm-hmm. you know, how, how, how radical that seems. Uh, but, you know, in older cities, all neighborhoods were car-free neighborhoods. You know, they were, they were designed <laughs> that way, even in Detroit in the older parts. So that's not really a particularly radical idea. Uh, uh, we are seeing a little more intentionality now about, uh, about designing around human needs rather than vehicle needs. Uh, and there's definitely a lot more awareness in, in sort of the design field and certainly in the planning world about how, uh, how, 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 how difficult it is to integrate large amounts of, of vehicle traffic into a neighborhood and make it function well as a neighborhood. So mm-hmm. we, we, I think even in the last 10 years ago or so, there's been sort of a sea change around uh, understanding that. We, 50s and 60s, it was very different. It was very much about uh, the, the cities needed to, to, to move people in and out as quickly as possible. Right. Uh, and now we've, we've kind of come full circle and we sort of understand that actually you want to move as slowly as possible. You want to stay where you are, you know. You want to, to be able to sort of uh, move within a city without, you know, blasting through it as, as quickly as humanly possible. And that, that, that the idea that, that you should sort of design around the uh, the the residents who are there, uh, rather than bringing in rather people than as, their vehicles, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's very much a that's very much a modern thing now. Yeah. Okay, David Dudley, executive editor of City Lab, was really great to have you here for this conversation. Thanks for Thank joining you. us. Yeah. All right, that's going to do it for me today. I will be back tomorrow when we're going to talk with a panel of guests about why they are grateful for our differences as a country and how we bridge our racial, religious, and socioeconomic divides. And, of course, we're going to want to hear from you about the things that you are grateful for as we look forward to Thursday, the annual Thanksgiving holiday. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.